Hello, my name is Dan Cotton, and you're listening to Metcast, the podcast that digs into the research, knowledge and expertise from across Manchester Metropolitan University, and how it is transforming the world around us. In this month's episode, we take a look at the often unrecognised role of unpaid carers in society, as we look back at Carers Week, which took place earlier this month. Also in this episode, creativity takes centre stage as we explore a new programme provided by the university and partners to support poets of colour. And finally, from sound engineers to digital artists, we find out how students have been prepared for an exciting career in the festival industry. First up, the beginning of June marked Carers Week, a week to raise awareness of caring, highlight the challenges unpaid children and adult carers face and recognise their contribution to families and communities. We sat down with Sol Becker, Professor of Children and Families at Manchester Met, and Annie McGowan, Policy and Practice Manager at the Carers Trust, to look at the issues facing carers and what needs to be done and how our research is helping. Then, did you know that less than 10% of poems are written by non-white poets? Manchester Met is now joined on its long tradition of supporting new and established poets to offer support to poets of colour. We find out how the university's poetry library is working in collaboration with Words of Colour, an organisation opening up opportunities for people of colour in creative fields. Through the partnership, Manchester Met is offering a mentoring and bursary programme to support emerging poets of colour from the north of England. We hear about the project from award-winning poet Malika Booker, a prominent writer of colour and Manchester Met creative writing lecturer, who will form part of the programme selection panel, and from Joy Francis, Executive Director of Words of Colour. And finally, whether you like the hard rock music of Download or the eclectic culture of Glastonbury, there will be a festival for you taking place somewhere in the UK this summer. Each festival brings its own logistical challenges that are met by a huge and skilled workforce. We take a look at Art School Live, a collaboration between Manchester Met's technical staff and students throughout the university that is developing the new generation of music professionals and giving them job-ready skills. But first, earlier this month, Carers Week saw thousands of people and organisations come together to provide support for carers, run activities and highlight the vital role carers play in our communities. Chris Morris sat down with Professor Sol Becker from Manchester Met and Andy McGowan from the Carers Trust to explore the history and look at the future and challenges facing unpaid carers across the UK. They have been described as the Hidden Health Service, often providing vital care for family and friends. Today in the UK, there are 5 million adults and 1 million children who are unpaid carers. Many may not even be aware they are unpaid carers, or that help is available to them. Some of these carers can be as young as 5 years old, sometimes providing care up to 50 hours a week alongside school, work and family commitments. It's a tough and often unrecognised role. And it can take its toll. Research shows that unpaid carers get worse grades at school and are less likely to go to university. Unpaid carers can struggle with everything from finances to employability, or even finding the space and time to take a break from their caring responsibilities. Here at Manchester Met, research from Professor Saul Becker, a world-leading expert in the field of unpaid carers, has shaped and informed policy, and the public, for 30 plus years. While the university's partners such as the Carers Trust continue to shine a light on the challenges faced by unpaid carers, the Carers Trust also plays a vital role in supporting care groups across the country to provide help to unpaid carers. Everything from time off from caring 
to help finding training or employment opportunities. The Trust works closely with Prof Becker and unpaid carers to connect the dots, bringing local and national organisations together to develop a joined-up approach. This month saw the celebration of Carers Week, so we spoke to Prof Becker, Pro Vice-Chancellor for the University's Faculty of Health and Education, and Andy McGowan, Policy and Practice Manager at the Carers Trust, on the challenges faced by unpaid carers both young and old, and how by working together, Manchester Met and the Carers Trust are making life better for unpaid carers. Firstly, Prof Becker tells us about his own experiences as a young carer and the challenges he faced. So as a child, I lived in Blackpool um, in, uh, in Lancashire, and I provided care from the age of 12 to about 24, 25 um, and I helped my mum look after my grandmother who had Parkinson's disease. Um, and I didn't recognise myself as a carer at all. In that time, with going back a long time, the 1970s, um, there wasn't even the phrase young carer. Um, and we knew nothing really about children who were carers, and we didn't know that much about adult who were, adults who were carers, because there just wasn't any policy or legislation or recognition. So I was a carer... Um, throughout my childhood um, and then I went to university and supported my mum by coming home at weekends and providing care and when my mum needed a break or to go away I would come home um, and look after my grandmother and I was involved in many of the personal uh, caring roles that people have to do um, and I was involved in a lot of emotional support and supervision and practical things in the house but it was the, mo the most sort of painful caring roles. For me, as a child, was the, um, the, the more personal care, helping my grandmother to the toilet, um, feeding her and things like that, as Parkinson's disease got progressively worse. But So I cared for my grandmother um, during childhood, and then I cared for my mother at some, uh, from, um, during adulthood as well, because sadly, um, my mum... Also uh, had Parkinson's disease, and then um, had dementia. So there was um, care and support during a slow process of decline, um, and then um, more in the final stages, really. But who are unpaid carers? Well, that can be you, me, your neighbour, or someone in your child's class. They may be supporting family and friends across a range of physical and mental health conditions, which can develop suddenly or gradually over time. Prof Becker explains more. So the word carer can be quite problematic because when people hear the word carer, a lot of people think that's paid carers, people who work in nursing homes or in the community, you know, who come in to get someone up in the morning or whatever. But when we're talking about carers, we're talking about unpaid family carers. So this can be an adult of any age who is providing support, care, supervision to another family member or a friend who has some form of illness, disability, mental health problem, ageing, dementia, any of these kind of conditions that limit people's lives where they require a family member to provide care and help and support for them. But the other thing to say is that whilst most people think that unpaid family carers are adults, the work that I've been doing for 30 years shows very clearly that children are also unpaid family carers. We call them young carers. 
And children as young as five are unpaid family carers looking after other family members. So primary school children locally, nationally, will be providing care, secondary school pupils. And in fact, in every classroom in the land, there will be, on average, three children in every class of 30 that are going home to provide caring roles for other family members. So we are talking about significant proportions of the population of children and adults who are carers and there will be many people listening today who may recognise themselves as an unpaid family carer. Recognising themselves is really important because if you don't see yourself or recognise yourself as a family carer, an unpaid family carer, then you might not know that you have specific legal rights in our system. So I always think it's really important that I let people know what a carer looks like, what a carer does, because there's still millions of people who are carers who don't see themselves as carers. They see themselves as sons, as daughters, as husbands or wives or grandchildren or whatever. And, and yet, if they're providing care to someone, because that person has issues to do with disability, mental health, addiction, frailty, old age or whatever, and usually it's a combination, if they're providing help and support, caring, they have specific legal rights to being supported themselves as carers by the local authority. So they have a right to an assessment of their ability to provide care by the local authority social services department. Um, and they have other rights to support. Sometimes they have a right to a cash benefit called invalid care allowance and to, and to physical forms of support, not just cash, but to, to support and other things that will help improve their lives, that will give them back um, some of their time and so on. So, you know, there's a whole infrastructure of services and networks of support for unpaid family carers, which a large proportion of our population who are carers don't even know about. Andy McGowan and the Carers Trust work with 130 local care centres across England, Scotland and Wales, helping unpaid carers to find jobs, raising awareness and providing much needed respite care, taking a break from caring duties. Here, he explains the main issues facing young unpaid carers. So, so in relation to young carers, at Carers Trust every year we do a survey of young carers and young adult carers. So um, we launched it, our last report for Young Carers Action Day back in, in March to where we heard from around 1,200 young carers and young adult carers from across the UK. And for them, there were some real key priorities. They wanted more support with their mental health. They wanted sort of support around sort of finances um, because cost of living pressures was a real significant one for them. They wanted better support in education, so a big focus on schools, but also colleges and universities and training providers. And then they also needed support to be able to have time for themselves away from their caring responsibilities, whether that's with other young carers, so at young carers groups or on organised trips and activities, which many of our local carer organisations in our network do in all of the holidays or at weekends or after school but also it might be just other activities that they can join just to go up and meet their friends at the weekend or go and join their local football team or go to their local drama or dance group. For many young carers, it's just that opportunity to have a break 
and that's similarly often replicated with with adult carers is the impact on their mental health the desire to have a break and not just the desire but the real need to have a break because we see significant numbers of carers and young carers caring for well over 50 hours a week so in 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 England and Wales in the last census that came out there were even five six seven year olds who are caring for 50 hours a week which is just absolutely mind-blowing to anyone hearing that sort of figure for the first time but it just sort of shows the scale of of caring that some of them do so you, so you can appreciate the impact on, on their mental health on their time for themselves as, as well and it is through partnerships with Prof Becker and Manchester Met that the Carers Trust is able to move the dial shaping policy at the heart of government and raising awareness of unpaid carers. I think being able to link up with Saul to use his insights to inform policy has been really, really beneficial. And we host the Young Carers Alliance that was launched last year, so March 2022. And Saul was really instrumental in sort of supporting the development of that alliance. So really sort of adding weight to the value of such a network, really sort of encouraging others not just within this country, but also internationally to join, because the UK, for all the faults that we talk about in relation to support for young carers, is actually still uh, ahead of most countries in the world around young carers policy, young carers legal rights, and also young carers support and research. So Saul has really been championing the alliance and encouraging organisations from around the world to, to join the alliance, so that they can learn from what's going on here in the UK, but also so that we can learn from them as well. But I think what Saul's research has always been doing is helping adding some of the evidence base to what local carer services are reporting on the ground. So experiences of young carers in school, experiences of young carers in further and higher education and employment, impact on mental health. These are all issues that local young carer services face all the time. But without Saul and, and other sorts of research, it's always based on that local example. So Saul's research has been able to help amplify that sort of that national picture um, and really then add sort of extra weight to when we're having conversations with MPs or when we're having conversations with people like the Children's Commissioner, being able to use that evidence from Saul as, as really sort of strengthen some of, of the arguments being being made. So for us at Carers Trust, we provide the secretariat, so the administrative support to the all-party parliamentary group for young carers and young adult carers. So that's a group of MPs and members of the House of Lords, again, who want to use their sort of position um, within Parliament to try and bring about change, to try and sort of improve support for, for young carers and, and their families. And again, that's where Saul's research is able to feed into the likes of the APPG to really help them better understand in terms of what some of the, what some of the need is. Manchester Met will continue to carry the baton for unpaid carers through a new institute for children's futures, led by Prof Becker. When I started to do research on young carers, it was in the early 1990s, and it wasn't, it wasn't because I had been a young carer. It was really by chance that an opportunity came around to do a study of children who were carers in Nottingham, where I was living at that time. Um, and I, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And you know what? When I took on that piece of work, originally I didn't even recognise that I had been a carer myself as a child. I, I took it on because it was an opportunity. I thought it sounded really interesting. It was only after a few weeks that I realised, wow, all the things that we're talking about in this research, I have done for my own grandmother who had Parkinson's disease uh, when I was a child from the age of 12 onwards. So it started by chance 
But during the last 30 years, I've kept researching around children who are carers, and I've conducted over 50 big research projects. Um, and the impact of that work has been to raise the profile and awareness of children who are carers. So I always talk about the taxi driver test. And the taxi driver test is if you get in any cab in any city in the world and you ask them about have you heard of young carers or children who are carers, you will now find, unlike 30 years ago, that most taxi drivers know exactly what you're talking about. They know exactly that a young carer is a child who's looking after someone who's ill or disabled or whatever. Whereas 30 years ago, if you did the taxi driver test, they'd think you were bonkers, that, that they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Um, and now we, know, we have so much more awareness of who young carers are, what they do, and the impacts that caring has on their childhood, their education, their own health, their development, and their future opportunities. And that's because we've done so much research in this area. You know, I've led teams at many universities uh, and we've had a direct impact on raising the profile, raising awareness, but also on policy and law. So this is a great example where research from universities has not only raised the profile of a group of children that we didn't recognise before, but, be but it's also, um, if you like, changed the law to give those children specific rights. So at Manchester Metropolitan University, we will be establishing in 2024 a new institute, the Institute for Children's Futures, and this will be a university that cuts across all of the faculties and departments in Manchester Met. It will be an institute dedicated to world-leading research on children, on vulnerable children, on children in the general population, and, um, and how can we um, help children have a better future, whether it's a better healthy future, whether it's a, uh, a future which gives them better employment prospects or helps them become citizens and, and happy citizens with a better quality of life, etc. And finally, if you're an unpaid carer, Prof Becker has these words of support. You are not alone. You may think you're isolated. You may think you're alone. You may think you're one of the few people in the country that are doing this. The, one of the few people on your street, in your neighbourhood, in your community that are providing care. But you are not. You are legion. And on every road in the country, there will be multiple people who are providing unpaid family care to ill or disabled relatives some of whom are deteriorating gradually, some of whom deteriorated instantly overnight or whatever it was, um, many of whom um, are children as well who are providing care. You're not alone. And if you are feeling isolated, if you are feeling desperate, if you are feeling that your life um, is no longer yours, please think about what help you could get from the local authority social services and think about what um, agencies like Carers Trust could provide because there is a network of 130 carers centres all over the United Kingdom and for many of our listeners who will be local in Manchester um, there's a carers centre in Manchester and other carers organisations in Manchester that can support carers to give you back 
a bit of your life. Thanks, Prof Becker. A fascinating insight into the challenges faced by carers, both young and old, and how Manchester met with the Carers Trust and other partners is helping to make a difference. Thanks, Chris. It's fantastic to hear about the impacts that research is having in helping unpaid carers to get the support they need. Now, Laura Devaney explores the obstacles that poets of colour face and how a new project at the Manchester Poetry Library is helping the next generation of non-white writers to have their voices and their poetry heard. Poetry is language at its most distilled and powerful, said poet Rita Dove. And with the power to inspire change and express emotions, it remains as relevant and potent as ever. Happy, sad, short, long, limerick or haiku, Poetry covers the spectrum of life and can trace its roots back to some of the earliest humans on the planet. But despite its rich history, poetry in the UK faces obstacles and issues. A previous study covering 2009 to 2019 showed that just 9% of poems out of 43,000 were written by non-white people. But here at Manchester Met, there is a long tradition of supporting new and established poets through our Manchester Writing School and Manchester Poetry Library. Now, the Manchester Poetry Library, in collaboration with Words of Colour, an organisation opening up opportunities for people of colour in creative fields, is offering a new 12-month mentoring programme to provide vital support to emerging poets of colour from the north of England, whose voices are hugely underrepresented across poetry. Starting in September, the Poets of Colour Incubator programme will see three emerging poets receive a £6,000 creative action bursary funded by Arts Council England's National Lottery Project Grants Programme to innovate their practice. Manchester Met's creative writing lecturer, Malika Booker, an award-winning poet and a prominent writer of colour, will form part of the programme's selection panel. Malika will also act as a project advisor, supporting the selected poets throughout the programme, working alongside a team of high-profile mentors led by T.S. Eliot Prize winner, Roger Robinson. We speak to poet Malika Booker, and Joy Francis, Executive Director at Words of Colour and co-lead on the Poets of Colour Incubator programme to find out more. First, let's hear from Joy on why the project is so important and relevant. Poetry has such a rich history in this country and yet it is still one of the most under-resourced writing practices we have and yet we've seen during the pandemic how powerful and potent poetry is. An important part of the project and the programme is around change agency and we see poets as change agents but yet as shown I mean 2020 the research the state of poetry and poetry criticism in the UK and Ireland 2009 to 2019 a study showed the consistent systemic exclusion of poets of colour and critics of colour in the UK. And since research has been done since 2005, the whole inequity in the sector, and particularly in relation to poets of colour, remains. Things have progressed. We've seen poets of colour flourishing, but after many, many years of building up their own audiences and actually developing other poets in the space. And so we are looking to ensure that poets of colour in the North are contributing to the poetry canon. It's overdue. The whole point, you know, we're dealing with a broad landscape of creativity and artistry and a history of inactivity to some degree 
in this area, most of the projects and programs that have been developed around poetry, particularly focusing on black poets and poets of colour, have come from those poets and creators of colour themselves. We're going to have a lost generations of poets who will be known maybe to themselves or smaller circles, but are saying something relevant about their communities or global issues because the focus for this particular program is for them to develop an idea in relation to global challenges like climate crisis, ageism, LGBTQ plus identity, so-called cancel culture, whatever they identify as a global challenge, they have the opportunity over 12 months to explore that. Award-winning author and poet Malika Booker, also creative writing lecturer from the Manchester Writing School, will play a role in the selection process, as well as acting as a project advisor to the successful poets on the programme. Malika has published a variety of works of poetry and theatre shows. Her poem, Nine Nights, was shortlisted for the Forward Prize for Best Single Poem in 2017, the prize in which she was Chair of Judges in 2016. She is the founder of Malika's Poetry Kitchen, a writing collective that has produced award-winning poets since 2001, and she was also the inaugural poet-in-residence at the Royal Shakespeare Company. I spoke to Malika about the barriers faced by poets of colour and how she was helped in her own career. This will actually enable poets who are always the last to benefit from anything due to institutional racism and encounter a lot of barriers and so usually don't develop. My career took off because I was able to work with writers who understood the industry. I was able to develop my craft, but also develop my contacts and my networks. And I think the South and London has benefited from those kind of projects. And I think it's about time that the North started facilitating initiatives like these. It's aiming to develop writers, to give them a chance to work with writers who are developed or who are established so they can get pointers. Sometimes it's really hard for poets of colour to actually get through the door and to develop. Sometimes there's a glass ceiling for them. And so this programme, like a lot of other programmes that we've had in London, but not so much in the North. And so this one is happening in the North and is a maverick that it will be working with poets to develop them. With research demonstrating ongoing inequality in the sector for poets of colour, there has never been a more important time than now for this programme to be taking place. Joy explains more on how they hope to innovate, leaving behind a legacy of positive change. Another aspect to it, especially from my point of view, is around the opportunity to develop models, self-sustaining models, of creative well-being. That's something that we've modelled over the last seven years at Words of Colour. And also creative entrepreneurship because many poets, particularly of colour, have portfolio careers to survive, to sustain themselves. And so we're going to give them the opportunity, you know, through mentoring and through masterclasses to develop their own models. So when they go out into the world, they can diversify their careers. They can think about how they navigate spaces where they they still are in the minority and where there is a colonial legacy and it's unsaid. So you cannot, I think, develop a programme like this without being realistic about the presence of systemic and structural and interpersonal racism in the world, in the arts. And again, that's why a programme like we produced, I'm very proud to have produced, is so essential at this time. And gives us an opportunity to innovate and to learn as well, so that we are developing programmes that can be accessed and built upon by others. 
Malika talks about what they will be looking for from applicants. We're looking for writers who have been practicing poets, who feel that they would benefit from a development and an intervention in their practice at this moment, who want to make the next step, who are running around in circles, in the circles where they are, who have not had access to workshops or facilities, and who are at the stage in their work where they want to make that move from emerging to understanding the craft, to understanding the industry, and have goals to be a part of the literary fabric of Britain. Alongside the bursary, professional mentoring and career signposting will play a big part of the new programme, giving poets the opportunity to receive tailored industry advice and support to help develop their practice. Malika explains how she will support the successful poets during the programme. I'll be supporting the mentors and the, the writers, ensuring that they, you know, they get their, their creative well-being met, that they also create understanding of models of creative entrepreneurship and be a touchstone for how the project is going and also, you know, looking at this initiative, because this is the first time we're kind of doing this initiative, but, but really looking to see what is working and what, I can do to fill a gap as well as an advisor with the, with the mentor and with the poets who are involved. Throughout the year, the selected poets will be given the time and space to develop, test and perform new work. From performances to working with partner agencies, community engagement to a final showcase. Joy talks about what the poets will be up to during the programme. What we're going to do is give them space. They'll be doing scratch performances. So that'll be front of audiences. So that's when they test out new work. It's almost like a comic, testing out the material. And there'll be incubator, there'll be drop-ins with different age groups, for example. So with young people, with older people, with artists of colour at Contact Theatre. And that's what will be with all three poets. There will be touch points through Manchester Poetry Library. When they're clear about what idea they're developing, we will do some audio recordings, some podcasts with them, which then will be accessible through Manchester Poetry Library. We want to gradually build the profile of the programme and the artists with poetry lovers and other interested parties. And then the whole thing about them, when they do the scratch performances, they will be testing out their idea. And if since it's gonna be something of global significance, there will be people who may not be knowledgeable about poetry, may not necessarily be fans of poetry, but they will be excited by the topic. So you will be bringing in a range of different audiences. But I certainly do not want to put pressure on the artist before they arrive. And also the flexibility, there's something that they feel incredibly passionate about doing. And they say, look, actually, what I'd like to do is this. All these are starters. There's a context, there's some structure. And then if we're doing our job properly, it should inspire them. I mean, the whole idea is that they work together as well. So they're part of a community. The whole point is that they will be contributing and be part of a community of practice. They'll be exposed to other poets they will be able to connect with each other connect with the five shortlisted poets and other poets in the north so by the end they can turn around and hopefully their poetry black book should be full we're really looking forward to the poets of color incubator program starting up in september and seeing what the poets go on to achieve metcast will be following the progress of the selected poets so watch this space for more updates on how the poets are getting on later in the year thanks laura for anyone interested in the project, applications are now open until the 24th of July and you can find out more information at mmu.ac.uk forward slash poetry dash library. Now, 
While creativity is the heart of poetry, it's also a key ingredient in the organisation, ideas and running of a successful festival. With the festival season upon us, Rachel Toll took the opportunity to find out about Art School Live, where students from across the university have been learning the skills and making the professional connections they need for a career in the music and creative industries. festival season, that time of year when our thoughts turn to live music, packed stages and mud. But while we take in the sights, sounds and maybe even smells of the likes of Glastonbury's Worthy Farm, there's a team of professionals behind the scenes making it all run smoothly. Here at Manchester Met, we're nurturing the next generation of festival pros, talented sound engineers, vision mixers and lots more creatives, all of whom give live gigs that slick and professional edge. Art School Live is a collaboration between Manchester Met's technical staff and students throughout the university. It's taking the music scene by storm, not to mention giving industry standard experience to students, a chance for them to learn new employability skills through live music. Featuring new and exciting musical talent from across the region, it also gives a platform for these emerging singers, bands and DJs to hone their skills. It's the brainchild of School of Digital Arts, that's soda for short, technical specialist Evan Wilson, who explained how it all started four years ago with a bit of classroom experimentation. Um, so our school life started um, with very humble beginnings um, with myself and my colleague Sam Heitzman. Uh, we were tasked with sort of testing this live streaming equipment and also testing a new sound studio so we decided to bring the two things together get a friend's band in and live stream a performance from a classroom and from there it's led to much uh, more complicated setups and um, with more students involved the first um, few events just had one or two students involved um, and then sort of word spread and we got bigger teams we moved into the holden gallery did some events there with um, public invited where we had more like 10 to 15 students involved it really took off it meant that we could um, approach bigger bands get um, bands with bigger draws so we could put them on in bigger venues and then again we could start doing festivals where we involved up to 40 students in each event um, and then uh, more sort of complex smaller um, studio performances with bigger bands as well for students hoping to boost their cvs art school live is a gift Say you're a sociology undergraduate, hoping to get into the music industry. You'd be hard-pressed anywhere else to get your hands on a live broadcast camera. Or if you were a business student, after a career in marketing, where else could you meet and greet pro DJs, handle their social media and help to attract digital audiences? Art School Live opens the door to these kinds of exciting real-world experiences, as senior lecturer in filmmaking Mark Thomas explained. Art School Live has been vital with, with, with my experience of working with the students this year. So I've predominantly been working with the MA filmmaking group. We've got a core of 14, 15 students uh, who we're working with. And they come from a range of backgrounds. Some maybe have come through the BA, others have come in from completely different disciplines. Um, and, and I'd mentioned it to all of them at the start of term. It's a great way to start getting skills in camera, in, in broadcast, in live production, in mixing, in sound. Um, and I've really seen how their skills have come on. The guys that have engaged with Art School Live and got involved, 
they've built skills, hard skills in, in, in all the equipment, but they've also built confidence in their own shooting and the ability to function in a live environment, which is a, a very unique space and new to a lot of our filmmaking students. And generally really push them as, as filmmakers, as confident people and, and ability to work in a team beyond that as well. That sense of camaraderie shines through at Art School Live, with no less than 200 roles up for grabs so far. Everything from camera operator to journalist, sound engineer to designer. No matter what their cause or area of interest, there's a CV-boosting job for every student. Case in point, Finn Logan Browning. He graduated in 2020 with a first-class honours in filmmaking and credits his experience with Art School Live as giving him the confidence to kick on in his professional career, live streaming for the likes of the Halle Orchestra. Art School Live gave me that experience so that when I started working at the Halle and doing live stream for this orchestra, I already knew what I was doing, I was prepared, I knew how to work as part of that team to make sure that the client got what they needed out of the experience. My favourite part about working on the project was working on something new with a team of friends from the course that I already had. So we're all experiencing something new together and like getting that experience as a team. Um, and also, I guess, the social aspect. So we were like experiencing new bands that were in Manchester and like becoming more tight-knit with that community that we could then obviously maybe work with after university. Finn and his fellow students wouldn't have had these great opportunities had it not been for the investment of RISE, Manchester Met's award-winning co-curricular initiative. RISE helps students get experience across all disciplines, crucially not just those related to the course they're studying. Taking part in RISE projects gives them the chance to accrue credit points and gain recognition for career-enhancing learning. As senior lecturer in journalism, Vince Hunt explained... That's a winning combination for any budding creative. In employability terms, which is our goal as academics, the RISE projects are brilliant because they appeal to the imagination, uh, they take people out on location, which is where we're not looking through textbooks and we're not sort of Googling stuff. Uh, we're actually working with real people and we're bringing them to the microphone and we're getting a result out of them and the levels have to be right and the, and the pictures have to be right and, and the time frame needs to be right because we're working to deadlines. So what the RISE projects do is they replicate reality. But this next song's called Eyes On Me. When it comes to RISE's Art School Live, the figures speak for themselves. 16 free-to-view Art School Live events stream to date, featuring acts by 60 local, national and international up-and-coming artists, several hundred website, YouTube and social media viewers worldwide, 40 students working on each festival and up to 15 on regular gigs. Oh, and crucially, no pool blues, no mud and no searching for your tent in the dark when you tune into artschoollive.co.uk to enjoy the creative talents of the next generation of festival professionals. So what I hear back from students is that this is a really invaluable way of them getting hands-on experience and sort of industry standard experience that they um, don't necessarily get from their course um, because it's a, it's a sort of extracurricular thing. It's a place where they can kind of 
um, try things out in a safe space, um, always with the support of technical staff. So it means that they can try out roles that they never would have tried out before. So people from courses that might not be very technical, but they have an interest in it, get to try out vision mixing um, in a way that they, they wouldn't otherwise. And I think that's quite a sort of unique experience that I'm not aware um, is offered in many other university environments. Thanks, Evan. And if you want to experience new music made possible by Manchester Met students, head to www.artschoollive.co.uk where you'll find live sets by emerging talent like soul vocalist KSR, Manchester indie pop sensation Dutch Uncle and singer and festival regular Nadia. Thanks, Rachel. A fascinating insight into the way students are preparing for a career in the creative industries. That brings us to the end of this episode of Metcast, the official podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University. We'll be bringing you a new episode each month, so if you want to hear more from our experts, students and partners, as well as details on the latest research from across the university, be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast platform. Until next time... Thank you from me, Dan Cotton, and the rest of the team for listening. Yeah.